This is The One Thing Podcast, and I'm your host, Dr. Adam Rindy. The One Thing Podcast brings together leaders in functional and naturopathic medicine to discuss actionable information that may unlock puzzles in the areas of gut health, brain health, metabolism, and longevity. Please note, these episodes do not replace the opinion of your doctor. They are not intended to diagnose or treat any condition. Please discuss this information with your provider and discuss your own unique personal health history before adapting this information. Please subscribe to our episodes so that you can stay on top of the most current information in these areas of medicine. shocked about this episode that I just finished with Dr. Ailey Cohen, who's a triple board certified integrative rheumatologist and environmental health expert. I'm delighted to share this episode with you. Dr. Cohen has a platform called The Smart Human, and she has a recent book called Non-Toxic Guide to Living Healthy in a Chemical World. And we go into water in this episode, talking about the effects of xenobiotics that are in our water supply, what is actually in our water supply. We talk about water filtration systems, how to test your water, skin exposures to water, and containers, what containers we should use. And overall, um, looking at how to avoid being exposed to water contaminants that might have a effect on our health. I really think you'll enjoy this episode. Please make sure to share this with your friends and loved ones. And without further ado, welcome to the next episode of the One Thing Podcast. I'm here today with Dr. Ailey Cohen. Um, welcome to the One Thing Podcast. It's so great to have you here. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Yeah, you're welcome. And um, I'm really excited to dive into one of my favorite topics um, and most important topics, I think, that I've maybe had on this podcast so far. So thank you for coming on here. Um, I'd love to just kind of bring the audience up to speed as to um, your path to environmental medicine and um, how you came about uh, to be so interested in this field. And then also just hear about some of the things that you're currently working on. So um, I actually ended up, I'm a rheumatologist, internal medicine, and integrative medicine physician. So I trained in all three areas and I'm boarded in all three areas. But what, what I got when I had to getting into environmental health was actually by sadness and haphazard and I didn't ask I wouldn't I would have been a boring rheumatologist had I not had a dog that got sick about 12 or 10 to 12 years ago 12 years ago actually I'm just counting back from my son's age um and what happened in very you know not to take over the the whole conversation here was that the dog my dog my golden retriever was four years old he got really sick I had two young babies I was really busy obviously with work and everything and he just, you know, got sick and I thought he had swallowed a sock like Goldens do. And when we finally got him to the vet, um, he had autoimmune hepatitis, which meant that his liver and his body was attacking um, his body at his liver. 
And we didn't know how this happened. We don't know what triggered his, you know, his body to do so. And we didn't even pick up on this, of course. But it turns out that autoimmune hepatitis is not just a rare diagnosis in pets, especially dogs, but especially that breed. So it really begged the question of what could have made this animal's you know, immune system get triggered to fight itself. And I am an autoimmune disease doctor. So the ironies ran so deep and were so heartbreaking. We treated him like a human. We tried to use all the medicines to try to, you know, reverse and, and stave off illness, greater illness and death. But he did end up passing away. He was just very young and very, it was very odd. So Long story short, um, I really tried to figure out why and how he could have gotten sick. Was it his drinking water? Was it contaminated? Was it his dog food that might have been contaminated? Was it his toy that he sucked on all the time, which was, you know, rubber? So I dove into chemicals in plastic toys for humans, for animals, drinking water quality, and everything led me back to some very shocking responses, which were, how is this not even regulated in humans for human products? let alone animal products. And it was just a, such a journey that I took and really out of frustration because I also was a physician for at that point, maybe close to 10 years. And so the idea that I didn't learn anything about environmental health or how environmental chemicals, radiation, stress played a role so specifically in human immune systems and endocrine systems was just really made me angry. It made me frustrated and angry. And after I really got a handle on you know, the science you know, going where the data was and all the colleagues that I started to partner with and really understand if this was real, then I decided to put together the Smart Human platform, which is on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, now on TikTok, even though my kids are mortified, um, and write this, you know, a textbook first with Frederick Bomsal. I'll hold it up if you even want me to do that. But yeah. um, this was the textbook that was given to us, well, given to me through Dr. Andrew Weil, who I worked with and was trained by. And this was the 13th book in his series for Oxford University Press. And I partnered with Fred Von Saul, who's a renowned researcher and got basically his work and his research internationally got uh, helped to get um, bisphenol A or BPA out of baby bottles. And so we collaborated on the textbook with 28 of the world's kind of remarkable researchers in food additives, in plastics, in clean drinking water, in um, flame retardant chemicals, in phthalates, Shauna Swan. I mean, it was just a remarkable team of, um, of heroes, unsung heroes. And then after that, it was so remarkably, you know, um, well-received. Um, we did the consumer book, Fred and I, and we partner very well because he's a wonderful man, grandfather, researcher, and I'm a clinician and a mom. And so we just, we really did synergize very, very well for that book, which I think um, I'm most proud of. I'm happy to have my copy of it. And uh, it's already, um, I've already applied some of the information um, to my own family and my own home. So thank you. My pleasure. I hope it's simple. That was the whole point was I wish I had something that I could use back in the day as a mom, as a human being, not as a physician, just to give me simple recommendations based on very poorly regulated environment. You know, what can I do? You know? Yeah. And I think it gives you just enough background so that you understand why you're making the decisions you're making. Right. You have to understand the why. I mean, when I teach high school and college students, which I do um, regularly and create curriculum as much as I can in any venue, including doctor's curriculum, I try to make it so simple, but just enough of the why to feel invested in the what to do. 
because I don't believe telling people what to do gets anyone anywhere. I think you need to give people the fishing rod. As mm-hmm. as a Jew, I'm saying give the fishing rod. I think it's I think it's a Catholic or Christian, you know, phenomenon or or um, you know, story to instead of the fishing rod, you know, give the fishing rod, not the fish. But the idea is that you really I wanted to always give people the tools, and that book is full of not just I don't tell brands. Brands change. They change hands. They have different formulations. I don't believe in brand specific all the time. I do believe in looking up your products. And we give resources for looking up couches and seeing which couches have no flame retardant chemicals, which are harmful to you. We give EWG, Environmental Working Group, all over the place is throughout the book because they're a wonderful resource for looking up cosmetics and personal care products because they're vetting those products because manufacturers will not do that. There are no required laws uh, or regulations or required testing for 95,000 chemicals that go into all of the products that we enjoy. And that Mm -hmm. means furniture and that means cosmetics and personal care products and cleaning products. So when you know that one little nibbit of of information, you realize like it's a wild, wild west. Yeah. And in your personal um, practice, um, are you... Is the format of your practice set up in a way that you're able to spend the time with um, patients and educate them on these matters? Yeah, I mean, I had to make some choices, as all of us, even in the healthcare field, have to make choices. You know, do you want to grow a big practice, at least as a doctor? Do I want to grow a big practice with multiple sites and tons of staff and oversight? Or do you do I want to keep things small and personal and no insurance, but reasonably, I think, priced? But The idea was to be able to have this creative outlet because I was reaching so many more people with what I was trying to get them to understand through books and web, you know, my podcast, The Smart Human, and everything I'm doing is to educate such a broader swath of people, even though I do that individually with patients. I see like 10 to 12 patients a day, which is unheard of from what I used to practice doing. Um, And I think it was just a choice I made because I felt that um, you know, I felt that I could reach more people and make more changes in people's lives if, if I could get to them. That's, that's wonderful. Well, let's, let's go into talking about water a little bit now. Um, the, I'd love to start off talking about tap water and what we would find in most municipal tap water. Okay, so this is a great um, great conversation we're having. It's my favorite conversation because out of all the topics that really have gotten my ire, I would say drinking water has no pun intended or actually pun intended risen to the top. So the idea that we are as a culture, even in our country and around the world, never really put much thought into the drinking water that comes into our homes that land on our restaurant table, what we drink and we don't know where that water came from at a restaurant you know, it it now boggles my mind. Of course, I was like everyone else for most of my life. I didn't care. But I will say that this has risen to the top. So let me just give sort of an overview that may be very easy for people to understand. In the United States, we have about 300, I want to say in 13 million people, 313 million residents, um, I believe, at the last census. And 80% of the U.S. population drinks water from wastewater treatment plants, which are the plants that have been set up by the U.S. government around the country. And those are used to clean water for 80% of the U.S. public. Um, And that water that goes through there to get cleaned comes from lakes and streams, sewage. Believe it or not, our toilet water becomes our drinking water. That's a shocker. 
Um, anything that runs off into lakes, streams, aquifers that are underneath the, the, the soil, we have water that runs underneath our, our soil, believe it or not, called aquifers. Anything that runs into those, which means, you know, farming chemicals, fertilizing chemicals, dead animals, um, you know, manufacturing plants that, you know, don't hold to their regulatory oversight or at least are allowed a certain amount of runoff, um, any air quality uh, chemicals that land on bodies of water, all of that goes directly into the um, wastewater treatment plants. And there are 160,000 in the United States that feeds, you know, that serve 80%. 20% of the U.S. population is t- gets their water from wells, either personal wells. You know, rural places have to have, you know, have much less of a reach from wastewater treatment plants, from the piping and the plumbing. So they have their wells. They can serve a house. They can serve a, a community, a neighborhood. They can serve a whole town, actually, and many towns. Certainly in South Jersey, there's the great story of Tom's River, which we can get into at another point. But the idea is that wells um, really are just strainers. They're just big containers under the water, I mean, under the soil. There's new regulations on how deep they must be dug than they have been in the past. But essentially, anything can get in those, and that's where the water will be used to, to service the homes and the businesses and the schools in that area. That being said, out of the 160,000 wastewater treatment plants that serve 80% of the U.S. population, they only, and I'm going to repeat this a few times just to make sure you don't fall off your chair, 91 chemicals are what they are held to Mm. in terms of removal. 91 chemicals from the Safe Drinking Water Act from 1974. Actually, 76 depends how you look at it. But essentially, 50 years, that hasn't changed. And we now have 95,000 chemicals, 95,000 chemicals that get into from all the, you know, those are the industrial chemicals that the U.S. now manufactures or allows into the country from other countries. That's the number of chemicals that's estimated that are in everything we do from food to cosmetics to cleaning products to industrial chemicals, building chemicals, all of that. So when you have this disconnect between what's allowed on the market which is thrown down our sink, like Drano. I mean, let's think about Drano. Ugh. All of these chemicals that are put down our sink will end up, if you're in using municipal water systems, filter through those and will come right out the other side if they're not removed. Mm. So again, 91 chemicals, still the number. There are movements to get perfluoralkyls out of drinking water to a certain level called a maximum concentration level. Um, in other words, if it hits a certain level, actually it's sort of minimal, actually MCL, but the idea is that there's a certain designated number by which a certain chemical in that 91 list is allowable. And the problem mm-hmm. with that is there's an argument as to whether or not those levels are safe enough. I see. Okay. And so these, I mean, I imagine these laws are extremely difficult to change and take years and years to change. I mean, in the next five years or so, do you think we would expect to see some of these regulations change? Well, so the ones that are on the docket, there's a lot of new information that just was published yesterday and the day before about the severity of perfluoralkyl chemicals, which are the non-stick chemicals, the grease-proofing chemicals, the stain-guarding chemicals. Um, all of which I used to use. I even remember spraying a couch of mine before the babies came 
with stain guarding chemicals so that in case they spit up, I wouldn't ruin my couch. I mean, we're all sort of part of this mix of what we wish we might have done better. But the idea is that those chemicals that are the perfluoralkyls that really do make up a large, you know, firefighting foam is perfluoralkyls. Many chemicals used in degreasing, like around military bases. All of those chemicals are contaminating drinking water and it's making a huge stink. I don't know if people remember um, the recent movie called Dark Waters, um, which is about the contamination who started starred Mark Ruffalo and how he was a lawyer named um, uh, Robert Billet, who spent 20 years fighting DuPont to be, because of the illness that surrounded all of these um, contaminated water sites. Um, that was really the DuPont runoff of uh, uh, C8 or nonstick perfluoralkyls, those chemicals, which are forever chemicals. They do not break down in our environment. They do not break down easily in the human body. So we're talking about a really, it's not like bisphenol A or BPA, which has a six to eight hour half-life. Every chemical has a property of whether it breaks down shortly or slowly or long, but because they're fluorinated, they stay forever in our environment. So, um, you know, those chemicals, um, and I get to interview Bob Billet actually in about a month, which is kind of exciting. Mm. Um, But those chemicals are very, um, really toxic. And so, the one that's getting the most attention right now because of all the fabulous research and the harm it does to human health, and we can go into that, um, are the PFAS chemicals, which several of those, there's 5,000 of them. So there's going to be several that are going to be probably mandated to be um, a lower MCL, which means the the maximum level that they can actually be found in water. Um, so that's really hopeful, but it's one of, you know, thousands of classes of chemicals and certainly they're not going to use all the perfluoralkyls. They're going to pick a few, you know? Okay. So if we could just talk sort of a one-on-one version of, you know, you ingest a chemical through drinking tap water, it's obviously going into your gut. Then what happens next and how does it potentially become a problem for your body? Well, you know, 95,000 chemicals, they are very complex. I mean, sugar and caffeine are complex. Medications are complex. I mean, uh, we all know the medicines are chemicals too. You know, I'm all for them when it comes to the right patients who needs medications. But just, you know, don't fool yourself that medications, even supplements, are chemical-based substances, um, often synthetic, often. So the idea that our body, after millions of years of evolution has to somehow come up with a way to manage 95,000 chemicals just over 75 years is mind-blowing. It's mind-boggling. It's also reason to pause and say, well, maybe this is why so much of our environment, our, you know, our, our, our patients are so sick. With, with an epidemic amount of illness, not just because maybe they're sedentary or, you know, whatever excuse people want to use, more calories, but it's really the chemicals that are making a huge, um, you know, has an influence on our human health, especially the endocrine system, which is where most of the data from these chemicals has been coming from, the endocrine um, chemical research crew from internationally. So we know they affect hormones like insulin and thyroid disease. Um, and risk for thyroid cancers, any hormone-sensitive cancers, breast, testicular, thyroid, prostate, um, endometrial, uterine. Um, 
pancreas because insulin, of course, is a um, hormone. And so we know that the these chemicals, which um, and they, they have lots of properties, but like I said, the most well studied at this point is the endocrine system and heavy metals as well. They can actually go into our system and we may or may not be able to break them down to a point where they are um, non-pathologic. And because there's many stages and many cytochrome, cytochromes in the liver, for instance, are one detox organ. We also have um, kidneys that are a detox organ. Our lymph nodes help detox. Um, our spleen helps detox, especially with infection. So the idea that we are putting an enormous amount of pressure on our most sensitive organs to break down chemicals that it didn't ask for to be broken down and to think that they're going to come out completely non-pathologic out of our system is really, I think, not wise to depend on. It's not, we, we can't rely on our, our health, uh, our, our body's organs to do a job that was just newly introduced into their, into its lives, life. So, you know, I just look at anthropology as a very important area to study in relation to human health. And this is a prime example of where um, our modern day lives do not, um, you know, help us in any way from our, you know, evolutionarily evolutionary template. So, so these xenobiotics, as they're called, these outside chemicals, they have to go through different various they come into our body through ingestion, through skin, through air, of course, into our lungs. So we have all different routes of how they enter intravaginally for all the young women and, and older women who have any type of feminine care products, tampons, douches, you know, pads. Those are also another source of chemicals that are roots into the body, which is very important because of that. That tissue is actually very absorbent. People don't realize how absorbent vaginal tissue is. And we have young women using these chemicals all the way through an entire reproductive life. So I think these are really important to think about. But we don't know how each body is going to necessarily break down um, each chemical that it sees. And then there's mixtures of chemicals, right? We don't just see one chemical at a time or one medication at a time. We see it all as a mishmash of like sort of a toxic soup. And although a lots of foods can help to decrease the risk of harm, they can offset DNA methylation that's been shown to happen when these chemicals affect our genetics, uh, you know, our genes um, and can change our genetic codes slightly because of the epigenetic component, the proteins. We can try to offset that with lifestyle through not just food quality and nutrients, but also, um, you know, exercise, sweating, sauna, physiologic ways of, of removing these chemicals that we've been built with. So, it's just not enough usually. And that's what we're seeing, I think, in terms of the sheer number of sick people. And I see that in my practice and certainly at younger ages and certainly mm -hmm. with no family history, which is really um, a really important mismatch. Yeah, for sure. And so like with the, the water being you know, sort of the, an essential part of our daily um, interface with the environment, for example, you know, taking a shower and, you know, obviously cooking with your water and drinking water and using it for other mixtures of things that you eat. Um, it just seems like such, you know, if you're going to pick an area, one of the areas to really hone in on to, you know, sort of reduce the um, xenobiotic load, this would be sort of something that's like more in your control based on some of the research you've done uh, that's really kind of shine the light on this. So, um, do you, is, 
is your one of your foundations of um, environmental medicine um, that avoidance is one of like the, the basic like starting points or do you, do you usually start with other places like yeah no I so so our bodies are 85% water I mean we we are made of water we came from water we are water um if we don't get this corrected or we don't fix it in some level in terms of just the sheer volume of water that goes I mean it's actually we we drink more water than we even consume food for per body mass index if you think about it we can't live three days without water we can live a week without food so if you think about just the sheer requirements that the human body needs just to function and manage organs and keep our blood flowing and manage acid base levels and clean our kidneys, or I should say clean our blood through our kidneys. I mean, there's just such a need to get this right. And, you know, when I started to think about how I was detoxing, I don't love that word unless it's used properly, but when I was detoxing through just volumes of water, I realized that why am I, you know, similar to having a kale salad or something healthy with blue cheese dressing or like, you know, it's like you don't want to, you know, waste your efforts. And when I thought about drinking all this water to clean out chemicals from food and yet the water's dirty, it just made no sense to me. Just like going to the gym, you know, you work out, you have this great exercise, you go into the gym shower and they have these horrible soaps and body showers for free on the wall and you're just putting all those chemicals back in you i have a section in the book on going to the gym and how to reduce that chemical exposure just at the gym so i think once you see through those those lenses you you start to maneuver through your life in a very different way once it becomes a thing for you and that's what i'm hoping um but the number one thing as you alluded to is really Look, avoid things. It's cheaper if you don't buy chemicals, if you don't buy cleaning products for every surface in your home. I mean, it's like crazy, the marketing. If you don't buy it, air fresheners, incense, candles, all with fake fragrances that have thousands of chemicals between all of them because they're proprietary. If you don't bring them into your home and you just stick with white vinegar and lemon juice, we have do-it-yourself recipes in the book. We also have resources if you're too busy, like I am now, to make them. I actually would like to just go to a website that tells me a very safe product that I can use that I can go pick up at a big box store down the street. So the idea is that you want to have all those opportunities, no matter what your socioeconomic background is, no matter what your your access is to, you know, even organic vegetables. You know, you can get frozen organics at every major supermarket now. So these are really healthful ideas to think about. But I do think avoiding is cheaper. It's smarter. The less is more approach is great. Um, You don't have to give up everything. You work it on, you know, it's a journey. And I I say that as I just got my hair colored this morning. So um, it's important to know that there are things you may want to give up now. And there may be things that you're working through emotionally and financially to, to change up later. I love that. You know, I think that's one of the messages this podcast is all about is that, you know, it's not about perfection. It's just about sort of, you know, um, learning and applying these things to your life in a way that doesn't stress you out and just leads you in a, in a better direction. And, and our, you know, our children are going to be learning this stuff and it's going to be much more integrated into their lives, hopefully just by the fact that their parents or their, you know, their, um, people that they were around were um, doing some of these changes. 
Um, so I think you're right, especially about the parenting, because my kids just went off to summer camp, and my son, who was 13, said, um, I want to get shampoo and this and body wash, and he's marketed to like crazy as a teen who, by the way, used the most personal care products per 24 hours of any other demographic, just so people know that yeah. about their teens. Um, and I said to him, sorry, you know, listen, you look it up on EWG and you tell me what's a one and I'll let you get it. And wouldn't you know it? First time ever. I, I almost started crying at him. I was just like almost in tears. He's looking it up and he found all the products he wanted and he got them. Nice. Uh, I love that. It's, uh, it's, it's really great when it comes from them and you see yeah. them doing it. Um, so, well, the, um, what, you know, I could see someone who's listening to this uh, just sort of being like, well, um, I, you know, I buy bottled water or I buy, you know, filtered water in a glass bottle. I'm good. I, I think I got it covered. Let's take that to the next level of, you know, people who are doing some amount of filtration of their water or they're buying certain products. What, what are the, what's the, the spectrum of this solution? Like we're, where would we dis- start that discussion? Yeah, I think that's a great question because you're absolutely right. It is a spectrum. Um, it's a spectrum for your whole life because some people live in apartments. Some people live in our, our dorm students, you know, that are traveling from one apartment to another, one dorm room. Not everyone throughout their life is going to have the access, necessarily the ability to run around and get a reverse osmosis or, you know, you have to sort of decide what you can handle at this time financially, space wise and interest wise. Um, I find that when you create the system for yourself in your own home and you fill up at home, it is the most cost effective way to get filtered drinking water. I found that personally because I've been through the whole pallets of bottled water schlepping home. And I've been through the, you know, the Brita and the zero water and all the pitchers. I've done everything everyone else is doing or has done. And that journey 10 years later has led me to my opinion, which is a great vetted certified reverse osmosis water filter, which by the way, are much cheaper than they ever were, is a great way to do it because they only are under your sink, your kitchen sink. I give them out as wedding gifts. I mean, believe it or not, I don't get asked back much to these, uh, events, but I do give them out as wedding gifts because I think that they're really not as cost prohibitive as they were. Just like VHS machines, if people listening actually remember what that is, they started off at two grand and everyone wanted one and then 1200 and then 900, 800. Now you can't even give them away. I mean, so the idea that things come down over time has been in my favor since I didn't know what I was doing. And now that they're very well certified and vetted, I don't love the companies that come into homes. I don't have any specific in mind, but I don't love the companies that generally come in, tell you the problem, and then try to sell you the the solution. It's same with mold remediation. I don't love people who come in, do the testing, and then want to remediate or have a cousin that does the remediation. I don't love that. I love completely separate testing processes and separate decision-making processes. And I just came to the conclusion that Pitchers are great. They're carbon block. You know, refrigerator doors have often have a water system that you have to change regularly, of course, because so they get stopped up. But they're at, they're efficient, but they're not as efficient as people should be thinking about if you have access to buying a reverse osmosis. There are some distillers that also do quite a great job. Um, but I have found reverse osmosis to be the most effective because what reverse osmosis is, is it's a material 
that actually has a pore size that is so, so small that it catches everything. It's like a filter that catches everything. Yes, it catches minerals, electrolytes, but it catches viruses and bacteria, which are the smallest critters that could be in a water system, even less than, smaller than compounds like PFAS. So you have to catch and remove the baby with the bath water, so to speak, because you can't just pick and choose what that material will decide to keep or not to keep, whether it's good or bad. And then I'm sure you're going to ask this question at some point, is this water even healthy for you once you've removed everything? And my answer is yes, absolutely, because you're going to have that with with a salad or fruit or any number of foods that are alkaline that will fix your chemistry um, and that will give you electrolytes and, and, you know, sea salt and anything else you're consuming. You just don't want the water that's filled with so many contaminants. The good does not outweigh the bad. There's not enough good in conventional water, I believe, with minerals that outweighs the bad because you can get those good things in any other form you need. Yeah. As I was always curious, like when you were first getting into using reverse osmosis, and uh, I know personally, I wouldn't trust it until I tested it. Mm. Um, did you ever do like personal tests of the water that you were you were getting from reverse osmosis to see if it at least stood up to the great claims? question? And so funny you should ask that because I literally just did that after about fifteen years, maybe okay. sixteen years of reverse osmosis. I finally had a way that I thought was legit to test that hypothesis. Is it really doing what it says it's supposed to do? So mm-hmm. I used, and I, I'm not promoting this company. It was just the first one that I felt was legit called TapScore. They don't yeah. sell filters. They don't do anything on the back end as far as I can see. But I just want people to know it exists. It was. It's not cheap. It's like 275 for something, or which, by the way, is what an RO filter costs. So I'm telling patients... And consumers, listen, if you really are strapped for money, don't spend it on the test. Trust me, the reverse osmosis, well certified from a decent brand, is going to be far better than spending all your money testing. Because then you still have to spend money on remediating it. So, But look, it's my business. So I decided to get some testing from them. And I, I called BS on my tap water and then my RO water, which I changed out of filter the week before just to really make sure it was a good experiment. And it turns out, that reverse osmosis is not perfect, that it's very, and I had a whole meeting with the company and all these water researchers to really set me straight in terms of what I thought I knew. turns Mm -hmm. out RO filters will do a fabulous job, but they'll do it based on what your local water system, you know, they're, they're, they're working with your, in other words, my area where I live had high uh, VOCs, volatile organic compounds as part of just, you know, you can go to, by the way, um, you can look up your zip code uh, water um, quality um, through Environmental Working Group. That's also in the book. So you actually can get a yearly report. If you have municipal tap water, you by law have to get a, a quality report from your water company by law. So you can call for that mm-hmm. if you haven't received it. And then you can also go by zip code to look up your water issues for municipal tap water, what they've been dinged on um, from Environmental Working Group's website. So it turns out that my area had high VOCs, volatile organic compounds, which are compounds that are synthetic that actually float above water. That's they're sort of in the humidified air, sort of in and around that water and come out of solution. So 
funny thing was that my RO filter, which is I've had for 20 years, you know, um, really didn't cover that as well as it should have or could have. Okay. So what I chose to do is because carbon block filters, you know, the ones in pitchers and on faucets and in refrigerators, because they're, you know, water moves quickly through them. They're limited, but they're very good at VOCs. So now what I do is I fill up from my RO spigot in my sink with into a pitcher. Nice. And I use that carbon block to my advantage just because I know that information from my tap score testing. Now, is it nuts? Is it too much work? I don't think so. It's two seconds. But again, oh. you can go nutballs over any topic in environmental health. You have to just decide sure. what is going to be practical for your life. Wow. Really interesting. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, while you're while you're mentioning this, like my my mind goes to like, wouldn't it be amazing? And this might already exist if there were like a, a nonprofit or s- social service organization that went into communities that are just getting pounding contaminants all day long and just help retrofit places. You know what? I think there's a loss of dignity here, and I mean, I I, I am happy to be vocal about this. When you talk about Flint, Michigan, you talk about Newark, and you talk about all the places that have. You know, and by the way, many places across the country, it's not just those two locations that made the news, are loaded with lead in their water systems or any number of contaminants, chromium-6, the perfluoroalkyls. I mean, every night on a different location in the country, there's another water um, warning, water restriction, go get bottled water. I mean, this is happening all the time everywhere. And what I think about it is, you know, if we could just get people to think about you know, creating that upfront cost system. I mean, yes, it's like, you know, 275 plus tax for a water filter plus the plumber that takes 150 bucks for one hour to put it in. Trust me, one hour. If it's longer, they got you going. And if you can just put those 450 to $500 upfront, you save money. And if we could get subsidies on reverse osmosis water systems from governments instead of being beholden to them to get bottled water, it just really doesn't make sense. We should be we should be filtering this water at the point of use in people's homes and not mm-hmm. making them rely on government handouts um, for bottled water, which, by the way, sits in heat and, and travels in unrefrigerated trucks. So you're getting plastic contaminated drinking water in plastic bottles, which I drank for years and I regret but didn't know better. Yeah, um, it just seems like there are so many solutions I've seen. Some I've seen some units like they actually have in Israel that are like public um, solar powered um, water dispensers and things like that. So uh, I'm just inspired hearing this that, you know, there could be a way to help in that area. Um, But, you know, the the point about um, being exposed to through our skin Mm. is something I think is kind of overlooked. Uh, a little bit. Can you talk a little bit about that? And do you go to the extent of having filtration throughout your home and showers and in the bathroom and like the faucets in the bathroom? What, yeah. Where do you stop or where, where, where do we draw the line or do we not draw the line there? Well, you know, if you're focusing a lot, I mean, I'm just playing, you know, devil's advocate here, but if you go too nuts in one area and you're disregarding other areas, to me, it's a little hypocritical, even like with my hair coloring, but I do it infrequently and I do everything else. And so I'm always rationalizing what my vice is versus other vices. But, 
You know, I will say that what I thought was the best solution, a whole house filter would be great. If you had tons of money and you wanted to put a 10 to 15 grand water system in your home that covers all the water coming through your spigots, whether it's showers or bathtubs or, you know, cooking water, drinking water, then that would be fabulous. It's a wonderful luxury to have. But I don't think the average person who listens to me or at least who's out there, you know, in my opinion, really has that money. And I'd rather spend that money for people on a great year of, you know, great personal care products that are maybe a little bit more expensive or, you know, really going after or USDA organic produce, um, you know, especially frozen organics, which are so much filled with nutritional value and are more accessible and, you know, maintain all the everything they need. So, you know, I want people to use their finances really in a smart way. And so my recommendation, again, it's a journey, but I really believe you can get, first of all, you can get a shower head that has the carbon block in it, which I didn't know for years. And they only make one at some of the big box stores that we all go to for our lumber and, you know, uh, you know, home furnishing, I mean, uh, materials. So you have to look for it. So they had one. I just bought one for my kid's shower. And um, you have to just rotate them out every six months or so, which, of course, I'm always late on. But, you know, the point is, is that that's $18, I think $20 for that shower head. And if you do that in all your showers and you spit out your water when you brush your teeth and you don't drink it, and then you use an RO in your kitchen to fill up and um, cook with, why would you need a whole house filter? Right. That's just yeah, my opinion. I don't. I just don't know how else you get water into your body other than maybe washing your hands. So, you know, it's just. I, it seems to me a more cost-effective way to manage water than to go nuts and spend tons of money where it could be used elsewhere more efficiently. I I would agree. I think that's yeah. yeah I've seen some of those filters pop pop up, and um, it makes it much more doable now. So right. So but, I'm just gonna, but, but I would watch the marketing because a lot of them, including people who I would consider very bright consumers, actually are getting sucked into like countertop reverse osmosis, which really is very limited because it's just so small and goes through so much less surface area. And then it will it will be proudly saying it cleans out 50 chemicals. And I'm thinking, well, 50, you know, mine is like 300, 400. So the question is. Is it for vanity or is it for convenience? Is it for space under your kitchen sink, which usually there's more than enough for these new filters. They're much smaller, the reverse osmosis. I just want people to be very thoughtful on what they consider good enough. Right. And so when they, if someone does go through a um, transition to getting like a reverse osmosis filter under their sink, does it require a lot of drilling and retrofitting of no. the... It really doesn't. In fact, it's interesting. Um, great question. People are like, oh, I have this beautiful countertop. Well, so do I. And you don't have to drill through your countertop. You just... Plumbers come with, with drills. I mean, it's brilliant. They come with drills and you can literally put the spigot, the, the faucet that comes with the tank and the cleaning system and the surface area cleaning system. You can put that faucet anywhere. It can be drilled under the door. And as long as it's high enough to have a pot, you know, if you want to cook pasta, a big pot or lobster or something, I don't know. And then you could also put it through the hole that comes in a lot of the sinks that are pre-made. And you can put it, I, I actually put one um, on the, the wood uh, underneath my counter. And I have it swivel over the sink because my boys will literally spill water all over the floor. 
So, and not worry about it and walk away. And then I step into a huge puddle. So the idea is that, um, you know, you can be creative. And most plumbers who knew actually can adjust where they can tack that faucet. Okay, great. I'd like to just ask you a few sort of rapid questions here to yeah. wrap up our time and then sure. kind of with some closing messages. So sure. the big question is, is how much water should we drink a day? What do you oh. tell your patients? Well, you know, listen, on the fly, I usually say 40 ounces. It depends on who I'm talking to. People who may need more hydration are people, especially in the heat. I just did a little thing on, um, on the smart human on Instagram, a little video um, that the heat can pose a separate issue um, from normal physiology because you have, um, people who have gout, people who have um, hypercoagulable conditions where their blood is a little stickier, sickle cell anemia, you want to be hydrated, kidney stones, you want to be hydrated. Um, so when it comes to certain health conditions, that has to be teased out as more of an emphasis. Um, in general, um, I'll read right from my book because I'm too old to remember all the details. Um, I wrote about the National Academies of Sciences, um, Engineering and Medicine, which really actually talked about fluid intake for men to be about 15.5 cups, which is about 3.7 liters or um, or 11.5 cups, a little bit less for women, 2.7 liters. Um, but again, you know, these are exact numbers that don't have to be followed. You want to generally listen to your body and hydrate throughout the day. Um, and in the heat, you don't want to catch up last minute. You really want to, you know, plan your day and, and make sure that you're hydrating well before you enter, you know, a hot environment for long periods of time. And also if you're going, you know, flying on an airplane, it tends to make people very dehydrated. You want to watch seltzer and avoid seltzer, caffeine, alcohol, things that really promote water loss. Yeah. And I always, um, I'm a big believer in that early morning hydration is really important, mm -hmm. especially like after um, sleeping overnight. Yeah, it's a good point. A and then, you know, if you hydrate earlier in the day, then you're not up peeing all night. So it's I think that's nice really smart because most of us start with caffeine and we're already at a deficit. So I think that point is excellent. I might steal that if you don't mind. But anyway, um, I, I think that's a really good point. So drinking a big glass of water before your first sip of coffee or tea would be actually very wise because I tell my patients for every glass of tea or coffee, you should have at least one glass of, of clean filtered water just to offset that caffeine issue. Wonderful. And what type of container should we carry our water in? Glass or stainless steel and make sure to be careful of the plastic lids and the, and the flip top straws. Because if you're really going to move in, I mean, I've gotten stainless steel containers and thought I was doing such a great job and I was like using the straw or, or having hot liquids out of the plastic lid. And I think if you're going to go so far and be so good to get that, you know, to be thoughtful, you know, go the full way and, and really make sure that you have a, a twist on, um, I'm not going to show brands, but here's a, here's one of my water bottles that's huge. And I made the point of getting the twist on. Um, there's some that have flip tops, but you know, I just think doing anything you can to reduce that exposure is great. If you need, like, for instance, my son plays sports and he really wants this straw plastic bottle because all the kids have them and he's pissed at me because I make him work gla use glass and stainless steel. He uh, I let him have that for sports. And that's because it, it's better than fighting with him. And he's doing so many other things that I do ask him to do. So I think you have to pick your battles, even with kids. But the less exposure to plastics, nonstick chemicals, 
air quality, you know, air fresheners that have synthetic chemicals, fragrances. I think when you do the less is more approach, especially with water bottles too, you've created a beautiful system where you have clean water from the more, you know, point of use all the way through your day. Um, and I think that's really clever. So um, and along those lines, when you purchase a water bottle, are the companies required on the bottom of the bottle to say like what it's made out of or is it is that sort of just like... Uh... They're not really required to do anything. They want to do it for marketing. So if they say BPA-free, that means nothing because BPA has 20 million other substitutes, all the bisphenols, BPS, BPSIP. I talk about it in the book. And yet, you know, really our government got rid of only bisphenol A due to Fred Von Saul and his colleagues from wonderful research internationally, but it was only to remove bisphenol A from plastic baby bottles. And the problem with that is we have BPA in our canned drinks and canned foods, even if they're organic. I mean, it lines the inside of every canned food. Um, So the idea that if it's bad enough to remove from one product, it should be bad enough to remove from every product that, that manufacturers put it in. So the substitutions, which are allowable because we're chasing, it's like a -a whack-a-mole, they're putting BPS, BPSIP, BPFIP. So, I mean, all of these substitution bisphenols are actually showing same harm or worse. And so I always say, forget the plastic. Glass and stainless steel has a harder matrix. It doesn't leach into the liquids or foods that it contains. And that's really what you want is a stronger matrix. Okay. What are your thoughts on these specialty waters that, people are talking about so like hydrogen water oxygenated water um what what's the um is that related or is that for another purpose of you know kind of another therapeutic benefit yeah i mean i haven't seen them play out into any major health you know benefits i think it's all marketing i think most of the people who drink that water Um, are spending too much money for something that they could be using to change their diet or get rid of the cosmetics that they are putting on their skin or personal care. In other words, I think it's too focused in one area to say that there's any value there. And as I mentioned, when you have clean water that, you know, is removing chemicals that make it acidic, that makes it harmful and has endocrine disrupting chemicals and chemicals that affect the immune system, you are doing your body far better of a favor than arguing that adding um, some electrolytes into that water from a company that's going to charge you three times the price and then um, sell it to you in a plastic that's leached from three different states traveling makes no sense to me. And again, you can get all of the electrolytes and minerals and and you know any nutrients that could be in water, you can get that from a salad, from green green vegetables, fruits and vegetables, different colored vegetables, um, whole grains. You can get that from a very healthy diet without chemicals. Right. Yeah, I like that. It's very practical. I was just thinking, like, you know, if if you were in the process of remodeling your home and you had to like stay in a hotel for yeah. a month, or you were living out of your own home for a while, sure. or traveling where you don't have access to your normal health lifestyle, maybe having some of those supplements to. Or, or getting a pitcher filter that's vetted and using a pitcher filter with tap water. I mean, they have some very well, you know, interesting rating systems. Um, there was a YouTube video that has like 200,000 views from a company, Modern Castle, I want to say. And I've talked to these guys and they claim not to get money from 
you know, any of the pictures they test, they're sort of like, you know, a, a modern day consumer reports that's accessible through YouTube. And I thought that their video on they I think they vetted like 10 different water pitchers on whether it takes away fluoride, whether it takes out um, lead, whether it has nanoparticles, silver nanoparticles within the filter that is as often added. Um, and I thought it was just a really nice overview of which one's rated at which level for which contaminants that you're concerned for. And so to me, having that information and knowing that a pitcher can go with you is to me more cost effective than plastic bottles that may have traveled and leach all those hot chemicals in. And yeah, plastic pitchers are made of plastic, but they're still maintaining a normal temperature after you buy them, as opposed to having a liquid in them and having it come in from the sides. You know what I mean? At hot temperatures. That makes sense. And so with what's microstructured water? Is that a fat? Is that a thing? I don't even um, know what that is. I'll be honest with you. I mean, are okay. is there someone in a chemistry lab adding an oxygen? So it's like, you know, I, I don't know. I really don't know. I, I mean, maybe that's something I really need to learn about. I just, I just feel that the effort for those things is a little bit more than I can dole out right now, yeah. given that there's just so many areas of chemicals I'm trying to avoid daily. It's It can be too much. So, you know, yeah, I think... Like- it's just Makes too sense. much. Like, I, I agree. I think, you know, one of the things that I'm taking away from this is that, you know, we can get into these minutiae and we're not even doing the basics yet. So, right. you know, get into these minutiae when you, you've sort yeah. of developed a lifestyle that you're ready to take it to the next level. And I'll um, tell you something. I fought very hard with Fred um, and, you know, with me and Fred fought very hard to have a refrigerator tear off sheet in this book. Because to me, those are sort of the top, I don't know, 10, 25 things that I think are super easy to get out of your life and out of your body, essentially, you know, because of the body burden of these chemicals. And I, I really wanted to people to have access to just, okay, what are just, you know, give me 10 things to do. And let's start there before worrying about the microstructure of my water, you know? So, yeah. you know, it's a journey. People may be really deep into this and want that information. I don't have it on, on different types of water specifically that, and you know, all the research on that, but I think it's probably a newer science and I would rather go with what is really common sense before moving into the, to the fringe. Yeah. I love it. I mean, I think, you know, you can tell your heart's in the right place because you want people to use this information, not just be kind of confused and wowed by it. So right. it's it's really great. Um, so if you could just leave us with a few take-home messages and maybe tell us sort of your tried and true health practice when, you know, life feels chaotic and sort of out of control. Well, when life's chaotic and out of control, that would see, I think that's right now, as a matter of fact, and every day, um, as I just took my cat to the vet, um, I would say that, you know, first of all, I depend on exercise. Um, personally, I've always been pretty athletic, but I depend on exercise and movement and structured running, walking to it's it's my antidepressant. It's my it's my mojo. And is there anything against antidepressants? No. I mean, if people need them, of course, but I'm just giving my my euphoric feeling after that it helps me move on with my day makes me have better food choices. Um, I am less angry, less reactive. So I like my patients. I always, you know, whatever you can do, walking in nature and running, maybe if you have arthritis, you can do pool exercises, chair exercises. 
But I think that that's a really wonderful way to exercise out your stress, also manage physiologically, like in anthropology, your sweat, getting rid of chemicals through your sweat, which is well studied. And I talk about it in the detox chapter of this book. Um, I think that's number one is is get something physically active because we were meant to move as human beings for millions of years and we should continue that process. The second thing is, again, the less is more approach, less chemicals, less cleaning products. Go back to the basics. Go back to what our grandparents used to use. You know, uh, white vinegar is cheap. You know, lemon juice that's real. Um, Castile soap, um, borax that you can use in in tougher situations. I wouldn't use bleach if you can avoid that because of thyroid issues as well, um, has to be incredibly watered down and really be very carefully used. We got that in the book before um, COVID took off and actually have a whole COVID section. So I think um, the less is more approach is excellent to consider. Um, and, you know, that's really cheaper and easier and less stressful than going out and having to search products to buy is just get rid of things you just don't need. And, um, and that's just really the first two things. I would say drinking water, of course, is a big deal. Getting that right is really a good place to start if you want, because that's going to inspire you, keep you moving. And, um, and that's really it. That's the main, the main things I like people to think about is stress, sleep, exercise, what you put in on and around your body, the company you keep, nature. Those are the big topics I, I like to cover in addition to anything medical. That's wonderful. I, um, this last weekend, I was actually in an IFM conference, um, yeah. you know, and uh, someone said, like, even just going into a, your, a room for five minutes and just for those five minutes, just taking time to just do some breathing. Yeah. Sometimes yeah. that might be all you get in a day. And that can be helpful even. <laughs> No, oh, absolutely. Think- and holding your breath is physiologic. Like even Dr. Weil and his three, uh, four, seven, eight breathing, which was famous. You know, you can find that on YouTube, Dr. Weil, four, seven, eight breathing instructions. Most of that is holding your breath. And what's important is that our carotid arteries actually read CO2, not oxygen. So when you hold your breath and CO2 goes up, your brain says, oh no, we're going to die. Anthropologically and survival wise, we're going to die. Let's quiet everything down so we can survive. And that's how paper bags used to work in the, in the old days. Now we have, I guess, plastic bags. But the idea is that, that that hyperventilation would increase CO2 if you put a bag on someone's face to calm them down. It's the same thing as holding your breath. And there's a physiologic and anthropologic benefit to doing that. So when I explain mm-hmm. that to patients, they're like, no way. You can hold your breath and talk to someone screaming at you. And I'm like, you betcha. You know, you can drive holding your breath here and there, and you can just totally not have road rage. So there's lots of benefit, as you mentioned, to just having that control. And it has to, it doesn't have to be extraordinary. It just has to be so like ordinary. Square breathing, kind of like square breathing methods, like our, I guess, where you hold for a few seconds and then exhale. Yeah, holding, um, breathing, 478 is breathing in for four seconds through your nose, holding for seven seconds and then breathing out slowly through your mouth for eight seconds. And you can see that it's weighted towards holding your breath overall. And the reason being is it's basically telling your brain you're going to die because CO2 levels are going up when you hold your breath. You don't do it that long, you're not gonna die, but it's sort of a a holdout from our, um, our evolution that your body wants to survive. So it shuts down your brain and, and you just take, kind of quiets you down so you don't use up energy. Mm-hmm. So Wonderful. it's great. 
Well, this has been so fun. I could talk to you forever. Um, it's just, uh, there's so much, I, I have such an interest and fascination with these topics. So um, thank you for coming on. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm going to obviously post all the links and have encourage our listeners to listen to your podcast and subscribe to your um, website and follow and purchase your books. Uh, it's just so important and it's things it's so practical because this is what we're doing every day. Right. Um, why, you know, you can, you can make such a difference just by your daily habits. So, right. And, and we all want to live happier, healthier, less, less ill lives. And so again, following this rule of what did we used to do for millions of years? You know, we, we really did have clean water, clean air, clean food, we had more community. We had more spirituality, whatever you perceive that to be. We had more sleep, more quality sleep, not just quantity. And I think the more we move in that direction and chemicals and radiation and reducing those, that's just one component of modern day living that's that's hurting our systems. The rest matters too. So just doing as much as you can at your own pace, I think is just really a win and should be looked at as sort of a journey and nothing more than you know, than that. So I encourage everyone to take that on. If you want to follow, I do nuggets and really simplistic, you know, posts on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram, on TikTok. Um, my guests, my podcast guests are really kind of interesting. I just um, launched Tarona Low Dog, who's an herbalist. She's amazing. And, yeah. um, you know, you probably know her, right? So she's She's incredible. And she was my mentor and she's a midwife and a physician and, and wrote the National Geographic's book on herbal medicine. So, I mean, just having access through your podcast, through my podcast, you start to build a repertoire of what works for you. And I think that's the best thing you can get out of it as a, as a, as a, um, a listener. Wonderful. Well, thank you, Dr. Cohen. And, uh, you know, I hope to continue to keep in touch with you and, uh, thanks for your time. Thank you so much, Adam, for inviting me on. It was such a pleasure. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode of the One Thing Podcast. Please share these episodes with your friends, loved ones, colleagues, patients, healthcare providers, anyone who you feel might benefit from hearing these informative interviews. We tend to learn best from people sharing things with us. That's often the first time it's introduced. So don't hesitate if these the content of these episodes reminded you of someone that might benefit from it. For the the episode to them and I'm sure they'll either appreciate it or be appreciative that you've thought of them. So once again, we'll look forward to seeing you next episode on the one thing podcast. And again, much appreciation for you being here with me. shocked about this episode that I just finished with Dr. Ailey Cohen, who's a triple board certified integrative rheumatologist and environmental health expert. I'm delighted to share this episode with you. Dr. Cohen has a platform called The Smart Human, and she has a recent book called Non-Toxic Guide to Living Healthy in a Chemical World. 
and we go into water in this episode talking about the effects of xenobiotics that are in our water supply what is actually in our water supply we talk about water filtration systems how to test your water skin exposures to water and containers what containers we should use and overall uh, looking at how to avoid being exposed to water contaminants that might have a effect on our health i really think you'll enjoy this episode please make sure to share this with your friends and loved ones and without further ado welcome to the next episode of the one thing podcast